You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. You can see in Acts 8, we're not going to be in this passage, but I love... I love in Acts 8, as I said, it's kind of branching out from where they began in Jerusalem. Look at Acts verse 8, and it says, verse 1, last week we looked at a person named Stephen who was, who was, was martyred for his faith, and then it says after that, and Saul, who we're going to be introduced to in just a couple of weeks, approved of his execution, but then it says, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered, And we're going to see that word used throughout this chapter. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem. And then look at verse 4. It says, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It's a really important word when we talk about the early church and the expansion of the church over time. The word literally means to sow seed. It's reminiscent of, do you remember the parable that Jesus told when, when he says there's four different types of soils representing the condition of someone's heart, he just says there's a, there's someone, the farmer just kind of sows his seed. That's the, that's the meaning of scattered. It's just someone kind of throwing seeds out. You might be more purposeful in your gardening, those of you who like to garden, but the literal meaning of scatters is someone taking a handful of seeds and just kind of throwing them out wherever they fall. That's what it means the church was scattered. And what I love that we learn as we go through the early church, it says this church who was scattered in one place when it experienced persecution, that every time the church comes under fire, even in great persecution, it's like someone trying to throw a grenade onto the church, hoping that the explosion will quell the believers in fear and that they won't share about their faith. But the opposite actually happens. They throw a grenade onto the church And it's almost like the shrapnel of that grenade is launched into new places that the church never intended on going to begin with. That's how they start going to these places, like Samaria. It wasn't because they had like a mission statement. We're going to go reach Samaria. Why did they go to Samaria? They were persecuted and they had to go. It's the fulfillment of Acts 1 verse 8. You see the Spirit of God moving the church out of Jerusalem. And it's not always because of their intention or, or their ability to do so. We see that fulfillment happening again and again and again and again. So before we get into this passage, I just want to say this. Christianity is a moving faith. Christianity always moves. It's never anchored in a place or a time. It's always moving. There have been people who have tried to contain Christianity, control it, manage it, but it's always moving. You know, other faiths that we, we see, they, they have a place that this is where faith is, or this is where you have to go. Or they have a language saying that this is the language that God speaks. But Christianity is very different. It doesn't have a specific language. It doesn't have a specific place. It's always moving over time. There's nothing like that that defines it. It's always moving. And I think this is really important for us because we think, as we see our culture in Canada, we think because of what we see in Canada that maybe Christianity's been quelled. Maybe God's losing the fight. But what we see happening in our day is just that Christianity is moving. 
beyond the boundaries of what maybe what we're comfortable with. It has shifted. You know, Christianity used to be assumed that it was a white religion. It's not. Christianity largely is a brown and black religion now. And it's really exciting to see. You know that there are more people will offer prayers in Spanish today than in English. Okay? Christianity is moving. It always has. We may try to contain it, but you can't. It's like someone putting up a dam from a rushing river. Eventually, there's going to be so much weight put upon that dam that it'll burst and go to places that we thought it would never intend to go. Do you know that there are more Anglicans worshiping in Nigeria than in all of Europe today? There is. There's more Anglicans in all of Africa than the rest of the world. It's crazy. It's beautiful as we see Christianity expanding and moving like a water in a stream. You know, I was just talking to someone who, who uh, uh, his, his, uh, his family is, they're, they're church planters in India. And there's just stories of, of, of they, they just got this vision from God. And, and they just want, didn't want to contain this church in just their one little city. So what they do is they just send someone here to plant a church in this, in this, this little town, in this village, in this village, in this village, in this village. And when they started doing that over time, it, like years and years ago, in that day, when they started planting churches in Indian culture, there's something called the caste system. And those who are at the bottom of the social spheres are called the untouchables. No one wants to minister to them. They don't have any money. They don't have any stuff. But they started planting churches in these villages. Simple churches because no one's got any money to support it. Right? They, they, they can't pay rent or anything like that. They can't pay the pastor because they're the untouchables. They don't have anything. But now we're talking just a couple decades later in many of those villages where they planted churches, so many people have come to faith that that caste system is largely non-existent anymore. We see the gospel moving from Place to place to place to place. It's always moving. Whenever we try to contain it, it moves out of our grasp. That's because we can't control it. It's a message that must be shared. Amen to all of that. Come on now. Come on now. (laughs) You know, sometimes we think it's like this is where Christianity exists. No, it's not. Christianity is existing in places that we would, like, we would probably historically be uncomfortable that it exists. And we have so much to learn from our brothers and sisters overseas who are worshiping in Africa and in Latin America. Like, there are millions of believers worshiping in Latin If we just focus here and now, we begin, is, God, is God losing? No. Man, Christianity is expanding into places that it never did before. It's a message that has to be shared. I also read a a sobering statistic. And maybe this isn't shock doesn't shock you. But here in Canada and the United States, this is where kind of our culture some has uh, come in tension with what we are called to be as Christians and witnesses to our world. Forty-four percent of young Christians under 24 years age, adult young Christians, young Christians, so between 18 and 24, 44 percent of them in North America think that sharing your faith is categorically wrong. So you should not share your faith to those of other faiths. 
Now, there's a tension of a Canadian value here, right? Which is don't push your faith on, on me. You can practice whatever you want, but you know what it's like to live in Canada, right? It gets uncomfortable as soon as you start sharing your faith. Then it's like, well, you're, you're pushy. You're pushing me into something I'm not comfortable with. You see how there's a value of Canadianism and then our call as Christians come in tension here? You know what I'm saying? So almost half of young Christians in North America believe it's categorically wrong to talk about their Christian faith outside of their faith circles. That's a problem. Because we're called to. I mean, you can't read the book of Acts and think that's wrong. Like, we are called to do that. Now, let me say this. I'm a big believer. You don't force or coerce your faith. Okay, we're a big believer on that. We, you don't force people to believe something they're not ready to believe or coerce someone to believe or, or come into something that they don't really understand. However, we have to be really careful that our Canadian culture is not dictating what we do more than our Christian culture. There's also a couple of Canadian values in tension here. Because as Canadians, we value, for one, is, is don't, push your, don't push your beliefs and faiths on someone else. But at the same time, we value multiculturalism. And let me tell you this, that people coming into Canada don't, have that, don't share the same value that those who grow up in Canada share. I was just had a, I was just had a conversation with a friend of mine who we were talking about this very thing. And uh, at his church, which is just not that far from here, there's a Jamaican couple that came into their church and just much more lively and energetic than those who've grown up in Canada, and it's really good for their church. But this is where Canadian values come in tension, because we say we appreciate the Jamaican culture that people are coming in as Canadians, right? But when Christmas came, you know, all of us Canadians were, were kind of like, can you come to our Christmas performance? You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> like let's not, we're, we're just, it's going to be a really soft invite. Well, that Jamaican couple went door to door in their neighborhoods like, you need to come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then all the people in that church are like, they're, they're thinking, that's not how we do it here. Man, I, I think we have much to learn from them. You see how there's like values come in tension here? Some of your answers, I asked the question yesterday, what would be the greatest uh, reason that would, um, that would restrict you or prevent you from sharing your faith? And I got a lot of answers that I expected. Um, one was maybe, you know, you don't, you don't know the person's background well and well, very well, or that, you know, you, there's, there's a lack of care on your part, which is probably a very honest answer. One was just, you know, I feel like maybe if they ask a question, I won't have all of the answers. But the biggest one, of course, that we have is we don't know what they're, how they're going to respond. And maybe in past you've had someone respond you know, a certain way that it's uncomfortable. Maybe you've lost relationships out of it. Well, that's why I think we need to look at the early church. Because we're always challenged by these Christians who shared their faith, did what they were called to do in a sensitive way, in a God-glorifying way, as we're going to find out here in Acts chapter 8. But here's the truth. Here's the truth that we have to wrestle with as a church. For one, evangelism is a gift, but more than that, it's who we are as Christians. So everyone's an evangelist. If you're a Christian, you're an evangelist. Not only that, if you're a Christian, you're a preacher. So we're called to preach the word. But here's the truth that we have to wrestle with. The vast majority of people who come to faith, 
aren't because we put a YouTube stream online. The vast majority of faith, of people who come to faith, why? How? How'd it happen? Someone invited them to do so. Right? Like, we can put online content out there. You know who we're going to reach with mostly online content? Other Christians. The only way unchurched people, the vast majority of unchurched people that come to faith are because someone in their life invited them to do so. Like, that's, how, that's what we're called to do. A thriving, growing church holds evangelism as one of their main values, and we have to be challenged by this as a church. You don't evangelize by accident. It takes intentionality. So today's passage, look at Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 26, is where we're going to start reading. Uh, it's all about taking adva- advantage of the spirit-driven moment, and, and, and this is what we're going to pray for, that, this, uh, that we would be open to when the Spirit gives us moments or opportunities where someone is ripe for the faith. So before we do that, let me pray. God in heaven, we, we ask that we would be challenged now. You know, this is, you know, holiday weekend. There's a lot of kind of our people that call restoration their home. And uh, I think it's a good Sunday to really be challenged as Christians. Is, is, is are, we, are we evangelizing? Are we sharing our faith? Yeah, we, we don't really have a choice on that. And I don't, we don't want to come across as like guilt and like here's kind, of the, here's, here's kind of the badge that I can wear that I shared with this many people. But Lord, we're going to be challenged by what, is, what should be our... Uh, uh, our motivation, and what are some things that we, we can be challenged by. So we just pray that you would do these things for us. Pray for this in your name. Amen. Taking advantage of the spirit-driven moment. Last Sunday night, we were at Paulo and Lavinia's house. Did anyone eat the raspberries that were there? They had huge raspberry bushes. I discovered them. Okay. I ate many of their raspberries. They were all ripe. In fact, many of them were too ripe. Because when is raspberry season? I think it's over, right? It just ended. Many of them were too ripe. And as I was reading through this passage, taking advantage of the spirit-driven moment, many of them were, were too ripe or even going bad. And there were so many of them that were ripe in this bush that you could just you know, pick, and, pick and eat. And, and there are even places that you couldn't even reach or that I didn't try really hard enough to reach. But all of these raspberries were good for the picking and no one was picking them. The point is, I know sometimes we say that what prevents us from sharing our faith is maybe there's no opportunity. I just wonder if that's not the problem. You know, I wonder if there are ripe people all around us that are just begging to be picked and we're using every excuse not to pick it. And they're getting too ripe. Or we're really not trying to go to the places where they are. We have this beautiful story to learn from. Acts 8, verse 26 says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. So Philip's one of the deacons that was established a couple chapters ago, as long with Stephen. So we have Stephen and now Philip. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, This is a desert place, and it is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, high official. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. 
And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him, and who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning, and I, which I think it's a weird detail to have, but it challenges us for evangelism, that he actually opens his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. Now, some of you have like a verse that's inserted in there. They believe that's not part of the original text. That's why in some translations it's not there. Probably is, was an ad, it was probably, that verse was added later. If it's not there, then... <laughs> I was about to say your Bible is right on that. But. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passed through, preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, what can we learn from this passage? We have this beautiful story to learn from. And, 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 my, and I've heard this spoken like this, almost like a textbook. You know, here's point one, point two, point three. This is how you share your faith. It's a lot more than that, though. I hope that we will be inspired by this story and this, this, the, the, the background that this Ethiopian comes from and how Philip shares the good news. Not like a textbook, but one that you know, convicts us deep into our core and inspires us to share our faith as well. So we've got Philip, who's one of these deacons who was established in Acts verse, chapter 6. He gets a message from an angel. Says from an angel of the Lord, he gets a message from an angel, says, go south, young man, okay? A little bit spin on Michael W. Smith's early 90s classic, but it's go south, young man. <laughs> you guys don't know. <laughs> you don't. No one knows what I'm talking about, do they? Thank you, Kat. Kat knows what I'm talking about. Thank you, Kat. And I love what it says, because he just goes. He doesn't really ask questions. He just rises and goes. Like, okay, I'm going, going to the desert, I guess. And there's an Ethiopian official. A high official who is a eunuch, which is very common, especially those who worked with the queen or the harem of the king. He was in Jerusalem to worship. We're given no detail, though. We have no idea if he's like Jewish birth or if he heard about this Jewish God later. We don't know. We have no idea. But he was there to worship, and he's returning back to his homeland in Ethiopia, which modern day would actually be Sudan. It says in verse 28 and 29, and we could go through all the strategy. We go through all the strategy. It says he was returning, seating in his chair. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. We go through all the strategy. Like, this is what you say. This is what you're not to say. But here's the most important part of this passage when we talk about challenging ourselves to evangelize, share our faith. The most important part is we have to be attuned to the Spirit. Now, Philip doesn't do this because he's a really good evangelist. 
It says, the Spirit said to Philip in verse 29, go over and join this chariot. He hears from the Spirit. Again, I wonder how many opportunities that God gives and we're just not listening to them. Be attuned to the Spirit. There's a little bit of humor in this that you can go over because the Spirit says to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So there's it says in verse 30. So Philip ran to him. Chariots aren't going slow. It's like this, it's like he sees a chariot and the Spirit just whispers in his ears like, catch him. And then he just to chase after the chariot. It's kind of funny when you think about it. And Philip had to run to meet him. I love the response of Philip. He just he doesn't he doesn't question it. He doesn't make excuses. Like I don't know. I'm I gotta eat lunch. Uh, you know my time is. He just runs to meet this the the person the person that the spirit is leading him to. As the spirit says, catch him. So Philip has to run in response. And I think the only reason that Philip has such a quick response is because he believes that the spirit himself has led him to this person. I use the word be attuned because I think it's an important word to the spirit. Attunement talks about musical harmony. It's when everyone is in the same tune together. Those of you who know music, if you're all in different tunes or something like that, it just sounds like a complete mess. But being attuned to the spirit means that we are always listening and ready to respond when the urge or the voice of the spirit comes upon us. You you probably know, those of you who have shared your faith before, you can probably feel when the Spirit does that, right? A person walks into your life, and all of a sudden you get this conviction in your heart. You're like, I don't know if I want to, but I just feel like I need to talk to that person. Anyone ever had that happen to you before? I think something similar is going on in this passage. We become aware of the heart of the Spirit, because I think the takeaway is this. Spirit's already been at work. It's not like Philip had to do the job. Like, this guy was ready. He was a ripe raspberry. (laughs) Right? He was a ripe raspberry. He was ready to be picked. And it's not like Philip was like, no, he's not ready. Oh, you look ready. No, the Spirit had urged him, and Philip ran to in response. The Spirit has already been at work. I mean, consider this. The book of Isaiah is in his hand. We have no idea how it got there. I should say the scroll of Isaiah was already in his hand. We have no idea how it got there. Maybe someone introduced this faith to him before. Philip didn't do it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? The Spirit has already been at work in this person's life. Philip, those of you like me who are, who are kind of intimidated by, man, do I have to present every single thing? That rarely happens. The Spirit has already been at work in people's lives and uses multiple people to finally co- have someone come to the place where they're ready to make a decision. We think sometimes we've got to do all the work, but the Spirit is solely bringing us along to what, all, what He has already been doing. And I think there's this beautiful visual in the passage that Philip has to chase down this chariot because the point is God has already been chasing this Ethiopian for years before Philip was even introduced to him. What happens when, when we evangelize is the Spirit has already been chasing that soul for years likely to get them to a place where they're ripe for the picking. First thing, I'm going to be short today. 
because I promised myself I would. First thing, be attuned to the Spirit. Philip simply asked him a question. Basically, in context, what you reading? I love that question. You ever sat at a coffee shop and someone, like, they're reading a book and you ever lean over and say, what you reading? <laughs> Andrew, you ever done that? Oh, yeah. You seem like the kind of guy who would do that. <laughs> I love the question. It's simple. But I believe it illustrates a very important lesson with how we evangelize, especially in 21st century Canada. Because he's intentionally entering a dialogue. He's intentionally entering a dialogue. I say intentional because Philip observes what's going on and enters into the Ethiopian's world. He doesn't make the Ethiopian enter into his. How the church in Canada has often done evangelism is we tell the world you've got to enter into our world then make a decision. Nah. uh Philip enters, maybe awkwardly, Andrew, what you're reading, enters into his world. Doesn't stand back and wait for the Ethiopian to enter his. Enter his. The other thing is this. I love that he doesn't enter into some prepared monologue speech with this person. He simply asks a question. He doesn't dictate the narrative. You know, I've done, the, I've done the street evangelism thing, and I'm not saying that's, that's not, you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should. But it's not, you know, where you're standing behind some weird board and you've got a prepared monologue. Never seen it go well. I mean, you get into some conversations. But I, I'm going to wager that in 21st century Canada, most of the evangelism you're going to do is entering into a conversation with someone where you don't have a prepared speech. It's an invited dialogue. And this is how you know if the fruit is ripe. I mean, if the person's like, get away from me, you're like, okay, well, that's not, clearly not ripe fruit, okay? We're not going to pick that one. But if you're invited into the conversation, yeah, by all means. As the Ethiopian invites Philip to join Here's the greatest reason, though, of why you enter a dialogue, not a prepared monologue speech. A dialogue requires listening. Be attuned to the Spirit. Here's, the, here's, here's such a practical part of evangelism. Listen to the burden that the person is going through. You know, anyone can prepare a gospel speech but you have no idea the person you're actually talking to. Listen to the person's burden. You ever had someone come up to you and just like overshare about their life? It's a great opportunity to share the gospel. They've told you what they're struggling with. That's like when someone tells you what they're struggling with or what they don't understand, you're on holy ground, man. Like that's your time. The Spirit has brought you into that conversation. You're in holy ground. That is the time to share the gospel. And it's like in this passage where you're like, you didn't even do the work. They just start 
oversharing about everything. I just got, like, I've had conversations, like, hey, can I have a, can I have a double-double? I just got divorced this week. And you're like, oh, shoot. Thank you for telling me that. And they're struggling. It's like almost, because I think we're so, we're so guarded here in Canada, but it's like sometimes people just like, it just comes out because we don't share things with people about anything important. And some people have literally nobody to share what they're burdened to. And it just comes out to you. Guys, that's a gift. You're on holy ground. That's the time to tell about Jesus. Listen to the burden that they are going through. Many of us, including me, are simply not very good listeners. You can kind of tell when someone's not a good listener when you're talking to them. And you can tell they're not really hearing what you're saying. They're just thinking about what they're going to say after you. You ever been there? (laughs) That's more of a debate than a conversation. I usually try to get out of those as fast as I possibly can. Many of us maybe are just not very good listeners. Here's what listening does. Listening to their burden and their story. Here's what it does. Listening shows whether you are there for them or for you. In no way do we want this, hey guys, we should evangelize so that we can say we're an evangelistic church. And so Callie can stand up and be like, I shared the gospel three times this week. That would be great. But by no means is that our intent, like that's the reason that we do this. Listening tells someone whether you're there for them or whether you're there for you. So you can go back to your church because I shared the gospel this week. I don't even know their name. Didn't have time to ask that question, but I shared the gospel. Nah. Listening shows whether you're there for them or for you. No one wants to be some Christian's project that they're working on. No one wants to be some Christian's project. I think everyone is open to being a, a, a person that we actually share things that matter with one another, but no one wants to be a project. I certainly don't. So we're not doing that. We're not going to be a church that boasts about our evangelistic efforts. Because evangelism isn't about me preaching. It's about the person receiving. Because they need to hear it. Even in this passage, we can make it about Philip and like go through and be like, wow, Philip, did look at his evangelistic intentions and, and strategies. But the point is about the Ethiopian in the passage. It's not about Philip. This is about the Ethiopian in the passage. If we make it about Philip and strategy, we're missing the story. That this man was an official under Candace, which by the way is not a a name, it's a title. Candace was a title called to the Queen of Ethiopia. We don't know her actual name. But you know the eunuch story, right? Yes, he was a high official, but likely he was forcibly taken away from his home at a young age. And as a eunuch, his body mutilated and humiliated The dream of having a future family stripped from him. He had no choice on that. Yeah, they've given him responsibility, but they decided that for him. The dream of a future family gone against his will. As one commentator put, he was a body in use 
Not for himself, but to be used by somebody else. That was a eunuch. So you got to understand, this is about him. You know, if Philip launches into this prepared speech, he doesn't know the burden that this man feels of what he's going through. So I love when he reads this passage. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. You don't think this eunuch can kind of relate to what he's reading? Why do you think he asked, man, who, who is this talking about? Who would, do, who would go through that kind of humiliation, that kind of physical abuse for me? Who is this man that this speaks of? See, Philip is able to speak to this man's burden, and then it says, we don't, we don't know the, how he did it, but he says he opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I like to think that Philip just led him three chapters later. Just scroll down the page a little bit. Because that's talking about Jesus. And if you follow Jesus and believe in Jesus, this is the promise of God that those, of fa- those who have faith in Jesus get. I like to think, he's like, scroll down the scroll a little bit, because this is for you. It says in Isaiah 50, that's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 56 says this, Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, this is what I give to them. I give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That's the promise. You see, this isn't about Philip. This is about the eunuch. It always has been. So please, we're not making this a strategy. Evangelism is hope for people. Be attuned to the Spirit, listen to the burden. If there's any more practical advice that I can give in evangelism, listen. If they share their burden, that's hallowed ground. And you have just had the door flung wide open to tell about Jesus. Finally, and I'll make this really quick, assume the identity of a guide. The eunuch invites Philip up into his chariot. He asks the question, how, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Really quickly, guys, we're, not, we're no savior. We're not saving anybody. We're not winning souls. We're pointing people to Jesus. We're just guiding them as people who are already walking the path, and we're just saying, just join. Join right beside me. We don't assume a higher authority. We're simply imploring people to follow the same path that we walk and to follow the same Lord that we we follow. And I love at the end, the eunuch says, what prevents me from being baptized? (laughs) You know, we had a really intimate ceremony last week when we observed two of our own uh, 
go into the waters of baptism and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. We have this very similar thing, but a very intimate setting. It was probably just the driver, the eunuch, and Philip. I don't know where the body of water was. It said it was a desert. I don't know, some, some, wherever they found a body of water. In a very intimate ceremony, the man commits to following Jesus to take this gospel now to a very new place that we see Acts 1 verse 8 coming true right, right in front of us as we read. Man, I love how it ends in a baptism. Philip just kind of, he pieces, he vanishes. He's gone. <laughs> he's just gone. And it says he never saw him again. So we don't know. We don't, we don't know what happened to the eunuch. We actually don't know much of what happened to Philip after that. It sounds like Philip may have just settled down in Caesarea and tradition says he just started a family and maybe was a pastor in Caesarea. But I love that it ends with the baptism because that's what it's all about. You know, we do a lot of things as a church but when you see someone who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, that's what it's all about. That's what we want. That's what we want in a church, right, Colin? We can do a lot of stuff as a church, but we have to share our faith. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this this story that challenges us, not just strategy, but that inspires us to that there are people like this Ethiopian who need the hope of Jesus. Lord, I, I, I just, I got I to gotta think that the problem isn't that there's no ripe raspberries. I got to think that they're all around us. And I'm talking to myself here that they just got to be picked. Lord, may we be attuned to the Spirit in us. That those little urges, those little convictions that the Spirit gives throughout the day, that we would follow those things. That we would have the heart of the Spirit that's already been chasing people, that we would chase after the same person the Spirit's already chasing. And Lord, that we would listen. We're not here for us. We're here for them. Give us that heart of Jesus. Jesus didn't preach didn't converse just to say he's a preacher, that he's an evangelist. He did it because of the people that he was talking to need to hear this message. We're simply guides. Asking people to come alongside as we walk the same path that they walk. As we follow the same God that they, that, that, as, as we ask people to follow the same God that we follow. We're simply guides. God, may those three people that we write down, that we're praying for, as you give opportunity, that we would respond. I know it's uncomfortable. I know we may even lose relationships. Lord, this is our calling. We pray for this in your name. Amen.